1: Welcome to the New Books Network.
0: Hello, and welcome to another edition of New Books in Systems and Cybernetics, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Tom Schult, and I co-host the channel with Kevin Lindsay. On this episode, I have the great pleasure of finally getting to talk with one of the unsung heroes of cybernetics, whose work has finally begun to receive the critical attention and has long deserved, and upon which I have leaned quite heavily in my own work since I entered this field. With Cybernetics for the Social Sciences out from Brill in 2021, Bernard Scott has met a long felt need by authoring a book that shows the foundational relevance of cybernetics for such fields as psychology, sociology, and anthropology. Scott provides user-friendly descriptions of the core concepts of cybernetics with examples of how they can be used in the social sciences and explains how cybernetics functions as a transdiscipline that unifies other disciplines and a meta-discipline that provides insights about how other disciplines function. He provides an account of how cybernetics emerged as a distinct field following interdisciplinary meetings in the 1940s convened to explore feedback and circular causality in biological and social systems and also recounts how encountering cybernetics transformed his thinking and his understanding of life in general. And so, without any further ado, let's turn to my conversation with Bernard Scott. Bernard Scott, welcome to new books in systems and cybernetics. It is such a pleasure to—I uh, finally got to meet you uh, online and a few online conferences uh, over the last years or so. But your work has been such so important to my my own studies and my own scholarship um through uh previous publications of yours um many gathered in a a wonderful book um that edition echo realm uh put out a number of years ago that i would also turn readers to uh but it's so wonderful to have a chance to speak with you for uh, for a good period of time today so uh, welcome to new books and systems and cybernetics
1: thank you tom this is my pleasure and i thank you for your interest
0: Absolutely. So um, we're going to start, although you do cover it in the book to some degree, and uh, in some papers as well, um, because it's it seems to me that your journey, your discovery of cybernetics and your journey in towards working so intimately with Gordon Pask um, is, is absolutely tied into your deep passion for the work. Uh, but can you give us a little bit of a, your academic intellectual biography and how it led you to such a deep engagement with cybernetics?
1: Yes, I think it's probably important to say at the start that I have a, I developed a concept of what it is to be a cybernetician, um, which has informed my not just my thinking but my whole approach to life and living. Uh, so it was it was quite a journey. I started out as an undergraduate in psychology, having decided not to go to medical school. So I wasn't really cu- interested in cutting up bodies. So I was more interested in uh, hu- human beings as whole persons. And it was, was while I was an undergraduate, like I read a couple of books which mentioned cybernetics, uh, but we had a, a, a lecturer, a new lecturer gave a course on cybernetics. His name was David Stewart, who is still alive, I believe. And he mentioned uh, uh, Pask. he mentioned Beaner, McCullough, Pask, and uh, Ashby, and Beer. I think he referred to all of them as geniuses which I found intriguing. The course I was on had uh, a mix of uh, uh, kind of internships, places to work, going to work for a few months and then coming back to the college. And um, through his good graces, David Stewart got me a a placement for six months working with Gordon Pask in Richmond, Surrey, England, not far away from the college, which was one of the main reasons why I wanted to go there because I didn't wish to travel around England very much very convenient uh but i knew little about Pascal until i got there uh, but i was absolutely astonished when i met him he was he was the most uh well, he was certainly the most intelligent aware person i'd ever met and his presence uh, was awesome just to be in the same room as him he um he, he just commanded attention and uh know, yeah, he was he was as i say awesome um and it's working with him that inspired me to take cybernetics really seriously and indeed to it gave an entry into un, into understanding psychology better because up to that point psychology had been as an academic dip- discipline had been quite disappointing but i read um, past uh, papers i read his most recent paper of the time and chased up the references in the library and i became a serious student uh, of psychology and cybernetics um which was which was wonderful really because uh, um, not only did it aid me in my studies, I came away with a first-class honours degree in cybernetics. Sorry, in psychology, uh, but um, Pass took me on as a, a research associate when I graduated, and I enrolled to do a PhD under supervision at Brunel University. So that's the brief background.
0: Wonderful wonderful and um, yeah the spirit of his work uh, lives uh, strong in in your work and the ways you've developed it and continue to make it just so so accessible uh, is is a, a huge service you've done to to uh, scholars like myself and and to the whole community so this book um, cybernetics for the social sciences Um so this is you know wrapped in with the question of you know why this book now what made you decide this was the moment to write this particular book and um so what is it that the social sciences needs that cybernetics uh can bring it i guess which is a theme obviously of the whole book but uh, maybe those two questions are sort of connected why this book now and what is the social sciences um what what is the social sciences in in need of that cybernetics uh can bring
1: okay well Uh, Thanks to Gordon Pasch and cybernetics and the 10 years I spent with him developing and applying conversation theory, uh, I became, well, interested in not just psychology, but other disciplines and not least um, the social sciences, sociology, social psychology, uh, cultural anthropology, um, not so much economics, but uh, management, science and so on. And um, I could see that cybernetics was a wonderful tool or um, sort of uh, conceptual framework to use to, to to grasp these these other disciplines as in a holistic way. And um, along along the way, I discovered that the uh, a need in within the cybernetics community being r- uh, regularly expressed that there ought to be a good. Cybernetics 101, Introductory Course to Cybernetics. And I thought, that's a good idea. Maybe I could contribute to such a thing as these. Uh, this. The time went by, nothing materialised. But I started forming in my own mind what uh, I would like to communicate. And because of my interest in, in, in the social sciences, as a, as, a, as a psychologist, I found a home for me amongst the social cybernetics community rc51 research committee 51 associate cybernetics of the international sociological association i found a home where i could uh, uh, express my ideas and learn from other people who were working in in sociology and and other social sciences Uh, and i I saw there was a need well we had a name in the group still is there in the rc51 group uh, to spread the good news about cybernetics and systems thinking into sociology at large, which is a rather uh, bold aim, given that, um, you know, there are probably, uh, I don't know, you know, a few hundred thousand sociologists around the world and a couple of hundred cybernicians. We seem to wear the aim. And and I, I, I read some sociology books somewhere, which was there were brief references to uh, systems thinking or, or cybernetics, but nothing particularly accurate or deep. So I thought... Um, Uh, you know it was a good idea to write for that particular audience and uh, three years ago um, my my friend uh, Chimey Machuelo offered to work with Brill Publishing to um, be editor-in-chief for a series of monographs to do with socio-cybernetics and I volunteered to write uh, at least one of those and eventually after some discussion we came up with the uh, uh, titled cybernetics for the social sciences so my aim here is to communicate to social scientists at large what uh, cybernetics offers and on the way say something about systems thinking and uh, I deliberately um, made it as non-mathematical as I could and I tried to make it very user friendly in terms of how I wrote about things describe things and so on <laughs> excuse me I've just had to cancel a Skype call from someone
0: yeah
1: such is <laughs> <laughs> so the way yeah um, so uh, that, that that was the aim uh, aim for the book and, and basically I, I took ideas from a number of papers I'd I'd, I'd already written and then edited them, them together
0: yeah they're going to try again they always do at least at least once I think he can't possibly have refused me and they must have dropped the call
1: Well, I've, I've sent a little message saying busy, okay. I don't understand what that means great Um so yes, that's the that, that's the aim of the book, and I also thought it would be a very useful possibly introduction to cybernetics for other people including uh, those who like yourself are already interested in cybernetics and uh, so it's, it's a contribution to the cybernetics community as well as to the social cyber, the
0: social sciences at large, yeah, and it's it's absolutely done that. I, uh, I I'm well familiar with the lament um, of of wishing there was a a suitable introduction to cybernetics, even though there have been books, most famously um, Ross Ashby's book called "An Introduction to Cybernetics," but again, it gets it, the mathematics start pretty early, <laughs> and they're intense. Um, And, uh, so yeah, we've been, and, and even Wiener's book, you know, it's, so I'm not a social scientist per se. Um, I teach, um, theater and, uh, I teach in department theater and film, but I, I, cybernetics is very much a huge part of the way I teach acting and directing. And so I introduce concepts of cybernetics to my students and they end up asking me that inevitable question. Well, what, what, you know, where's a good book to start, you know, and, and it's always been so hard to, to do so. And now now I've got exactly the text. It's yours for sure. Um, so if you would summarize just as a sort of, uh, you know, I hate the term elevator pitch, but we'll use it, uh, what the offer is, right? So a social scientist says, I've got, you know, five minutes <laughs> What is it specifically? You say it's a framework through which I can understand or conceptualize or see new things in across the body of social sciences that I can't see without cybernetics. What is it that, that it provides that is the, um, the main offer?
1: Okay, well, from almost from the beginning, I say that uh, cybernetics plays the role of a transdiscipline, which uh, looks at similarities and differences across disciplines. Uh, And it's also a a meta discipline, and it comments on how other disciplines work and structures. It offers a core set of concepts which can bring unity to how we look at the social sciences. So, it is as a transdiscipline, it's enormously useful uh, if you want a broad, comprehensive view of social sciences, indeed of how the world works in toto. Because I would certainly not exclude biology from that, nor would I exclude the other. You know the other the, the other sciences, so cybernetics is, is really uh, using. The, I, th- I think the term was first coined by or used by um, uh, Warren McCullough But cybernetics is a transdiscipline. That, that, that's what I would offer.
0: Mm-hmm. Wonderful.
1: But I don't. I have to say, of course, it's, its main theme is control and communication. Yeah. In, in complex systems.
0: Yeah. And that control, looking at all of these other disciplines or all of these various phenomena um, through the lens of control and communication uh, via circular feedback mechanisms, um, be, provides a kind of unifying way to, to to look at them. Is am I in that's, the right? That's correct. Thank
1: you for elaborating that. The, the uh, when the when the, the, as you know the Macy conferences held in the forties and fifties brought together the. Thinkers from many different disciplines who were interested in what became cybernetics, and the title of their conferences was uh, "Feedback and Circular Causality in Biological and Social Systems." So it's about the it was it was the, uh, the insight, the major insight that was uh, found in in, in the forties in a number of places. Um, not that there weren't precursors, but in the forties, people became aware of the ubiquity of the uh, controlled by negative feedback, in particular, systems that anticipate, systems that pursue goals, and so on. And they saw how this could be applied uh, across the board to biological and, and social systems in principle. And that work has continued, hope, uh, thankfully, in, in, in various ways.
0: Mm-hmm. So you, give it, you provide a, um, a, a, a snapshot of your life in cybernetics, which is wonderful, and then the story of cybernetics, including uh, a sort of sense of decline and then renewal. Um, what do you think is leading to a renewal in cybernetics?
1: Um, I'm not quite sure at the moment, Tom. It's very encouraging. Uh, as you know, the decline was largely because of um, uh, the really... Uh, the, the the subdiscipline of, of artificial intelligence, which I've always seen as being part of cybernetics, they mm-hmm. came to the fore and got major funding in the in the seventies onwards uh, because it's uh, because of its possible applications in defence, and the more softer aspects of cybernetics were uh, were, were um, screened out. I mean, they, they got very little. I mean, PASC who I worked with, uh, had. Uh, major funding from the United States military in various ways because of their interest in, in training and human learning. But, uh, when this uh, new emphasis on, uh, research having to be relevant for defense, very clearly, Mm -hmm. uh, the, the funding dried up,
0: right? This is the famous Mansfield Mansfield amendment, uh, is a major. Yeah.
1: Yes, that's correct. uh, Yeah. Uh, so, uh, there was a, um, a, a turning away from cybernetics. There had already been a, a growing lack of interest in that the, the, the major disciplines like biology and uh, engineering and so on, um, not so much the social sciences, but the other sciences, uh, took what they, what, what they found interesting in cybernetics and just absorbed it into their own disciplines. They were, all, they were already quite well established with theories and methods and cybernetics just, just added to them. And they didn't take on board the broader trans- trans- transdisciplinary aspects. What we saw then was in the 70s, beginning with um, the past paper you already re- re- you referred to about extending the meaning of goal, in which he starts he discusses this, the difference between what he calls taciturn systems and language-oriented systems, which begins a, a, a major emphasis on uh, the social uh, human beings with language-oriented systems, and he articulates what are the challenges for we humans to be studying humans. Uh, That was quickly followed by Heinz von Furster and uh, his distinction between first and second-order cybernetics, where first-order cybernetics is the study of observed systems, which is just standard science, basically, study an object, study a system. And the study of observing systems, uh, which includes the observer himself, Human beings, and which uh, necessarily, logically, is uh, uh, reflexive, self-referential, and carries with it clear ethical uh, implications. And alongside those two, we also have a better Maturana and his uh, wonderful work on um, the biology of cognition, in which he too clearly places uh, the the human observer centrally there as the Uh, as a constructor of the theories that he's uh, he's articulating. Um, Whilst at the same time, Umberto presents a theory of the biological and uh, sets out the implications for what that means if you are uh, a biological system, a human being doing science. Um, This is a wonderful story that uh, I encourage everyone to try to get to grips with. So those those were the, the main threads that kept... Cybernetics going, and Pascal was so interests in the field of, of architecture and design. Um, uh, certainly, von Fürster was instrumental in spreading ideas about cybernetics into um, education and other others other, other others of the soft disciplines. So there was a, there was a kind of a period of, of bare survival.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: There's a paper from Pass from the early eighties where it says you know, where where cybernetics can be found. Mm-hmm. an institution in 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 uh, the uk and he mentions you know the and uh, the Pcl know i don't think he existed anymore but he mentions um two or three four places in 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 north America uh, and that's about it yeah so he, he was very threadbare for a while but there would seem to be a, a a renewal um i'm not quite sure how and when but in the late 80s early 90s. A new generation came along, of uh, many of them social scientists who began to take a real interest in what uh, both systems thinking and cybernetics had to offer. And since then, there has been a, what I see as a gradual renaissance as, as um, your generation, as, uh, there are many in your generation now across the world who are interested in cybernetics. And I'm very, very thankful about that. So my little book is hopefully going to... Um, Power that uh, that renaissance a bit more.
0: Absolutely, I I certainly am uh, determined to get it into the hands of folks who I think uh, might be open to its messages and as a way to continue to do that. Um, and yeah, you know the absence of cybernetics departments. Of course, you you did your PhD at Brunel, which um, was you know one of the places that actually offered a PhD in cybernetics, and those places have vanished except now there is a new um, graduate school of cybernetics in australia so um it's actually you know gotten to the point where not only is there still interest in it but an official cred- accreditation in cybernetics is now finding its way back to uh academia so
1: yes yeah, um, so i'm aware I, I can't i don't know the details but whether you know, across the world we've got a number of institutions or you know, centers for research which uh, incorporate cybernetics into their titles um that's all all all, all to the good yeah Uh, yeah
0: the fourth part of the book is key concepts in cybernetics which we We won't go through at the moment although some of those concepts of course will come up uh, throughout our conversation but um if ever there was uh, a glossary that we needed um this is it in terms of really accessible definitions of the key concepts of cybernetics it's a wonderful chapter and so i mean i'm going to recommend this whole book to lots of folks but at the very least uh, my students will be getting uh uh, you know will be being asked to read this chapter uh, because it really does um go through the, excuse me, the main that, you know, the, the really key concepts in such an accessible fashion. Um, but it's time for us to talk a little more specifically, I think, about Gordon Pask, your great uh, mentor and uh, someone who's of course, his name has come up many, many times on this podcast and uh, who had such an impact on those who studied uh, with him, Randolph Glanville, Paul Pangaro, yourself. Um, can you say, begin to sketch in a little bit about conversation theory for us and its particular contribution to cybernetics and the social sciences uh, writ large?
1: Okay, I mean, a way to appreciate uh, conversation. This is, We're talking about Gordon Pass' conversation theory. and There are other people who write about conversation, study, study conversation and so on, you know, social constructionists and whatever. Um, but... Uh, you can trace past interests right to the very beginning of his work when he, he as an inventor um he was building uh machinery and you know, we're talking going back to the fifties now uh, which would adapt to or, or, or interact with human beings, and amongst those were uh, that famously were um, some some adaptive teaching machines. And uh, Pasch um, likened that interaction between the human learner and the adaptive system as conversational in form. And in fact, there was a roots where he developed a kind of logical structure for what uh, a conversation looks like between a learner and a teacher. But at the same time, he was alive to the fact that, uh, in some sense, at least both both systems are self-organising systems, which together, as they converse, form a a kind of a larger whole uh, which is self-organizing and uh, he used those insights to uh, write about some of the fundamental concepts of cybernetics in 1960 or 59 there's a paper called natural history of networks and he says he he talks about the challenges of interacting or learning about uh, self-organizing systems in general and he says it's like being a natural historian when you go into the into the forests or onto the savannah and you want to study um, animals and their behavior uh, you end up with a uh, essentially having a conversation with them as a kind of social interaction arises um, so uh, that's kind of the roots of conversation theory from the uh, the, the, the scientific approach and also from the from the natural world, so again, generalizing from that, we can say that the roots of conversation arise in the interaction amongst uh, any organisms that are part of a community. So those mm-hmm. are the roots. But he he developed while um, while I was with with him, he he he, he developed a formal theory, uh, which he called conversation theory. The name came out. Uh, I think, 72 or 69, something like that. And he set out an agenda of what this conversation theory of his would cover. And it brought together all all his previous thinking and a lot more. Um, With Pascal, I I worked on uh, mainly on on educational projects, building what what are now called learning environments, which would, uh, in quotes, converse with the student to... um, help the student to get to grips with the body of subject matter. It was a very formal theory in terms of analysing the structure of subject matter and um, studying different styles of learning and and conceptualisation, which was passed term for basically for for the cognition that that learners um, have as they are learning. now, as always, PASC as a cybernition was generalising from what from our particular research activities. So there are a number of places where you can see these ideas broadening. And um, I should say that it wasn't really until I wrote the book and was well into writing the book that I realised just how important um, the broader sense of conversation theory of, as, a, as a way of studying the social uh, from taken from PASC forms a thread through the book. It really does play a central role uh, in, in in the various chapters of conversation theory does mm-hmm. so his first major book on conversation is called uh, conversation cognition and learning so uh, that focuses very much on on the research we did together um, but it's it, the, the, so it's a theory of cognition it's a theory of learning and teaching it's a theory of knowledge structuring uh, and it's a uh, a general theory of, uh, social activity, human social activity,
0: conversation. Mm-hmm. And it's got again, that ethical, um, that ethical, uh, implicit ethics into it as well, in terms of the autonomy of the conversational partners and the ways they literally turn together, you know, conversare as a root of, of conversation, this turning together, um, and I remember in one of past papers, his um, drawing a distinction between communication, which he thought of as a one-way transmission, I am telling you this, versus conversation, which can become the mutual uh, construction of a shared understanding, Reach starting from maybe an asynchronicity, a place where we don't understand each other, and then coming to a place of synchronicity where we do understand each other and there becomes room for agreement, but which, of course, can still include the agreement to disagree. And okay. so it seems that it it actually sits inside even theories like uh, Freire's, Paulo Freire's um, Pedagogy of the Oppressed, in that the learner and the teacher are turning together and 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 understanding each other's um conceptual schemas etc in a way that's um you know much less top down much less unidirectional and has a kind of um uh, ethical um dimension to it is that would you agree with my assessment in that way
1: that's fair enough i mean the the distinction Pass makes is between as you say uh in terms of interaction between humans which is basically just a signaling operation uh, you know a, 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 an imperative a command or a request for someone to do something just as you know as you speak to a, 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 um, a call centre operator over the phone there's not there's no real sharing of concepts there's no real learning about the other going on so he does he does say that that runoff says something very simple runoff says something very similar so yes the uh, we're back to the idea of um, uh, two self-organising systems two human beings in this case, coming together, and uh, not synchronicity. The word is synch- synchron- synchrony. Maybe mm-hmm. you become synchronized with another human uh, as, as soon as you, um, uh, you know, to use the terminology of, of sociology. As soon as you have the double contingency of expectations about expectations at work, that each is expecting the other to participate in a conversation. And then you start to share your concepts and you have, by, by being synchronized, you are, uh, sharing a, a, you're sharing a reality. You're beginning to construct a reality together in which literally you, you are sharing the same space-time kind of world. Whereas up to that point, who knows where you are or where, what, where you've been or what you were doing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so you and I are at the moment um, synchronized to some extent. Mm -hmm. Our our brain-body systems are synchronized. I'm computing you, you're computing me, and I'm computing what you are computing about me and vice versa as best we can. And um, when when our conversation is finished, we'll go our own ways, and I will disappear into another realm, uh, as will you, Uh, but we'll carry the conversation with us. And next time, should we encounter each other, Uh, the the conversation will be picked up and continue we will synchronise again and continue the conversation
0: in the meantime
1: Mm -hmm. we will have been conversing with each other in imagination I will carry Tom Schulte with me as I already had you to some extent inside me but I'm learning about you all much more now and uh, vice versa so you'll become part of who I am and uh, you you know, I, I will to some extent already continue to be or be p- become even more what you are. But
0: yeah, absolutely.
1: This is where we come into past terminology, which confuses many people. And he talks about um, uh, psychological individuals.
0: Great. This is where I wanted to go next. This is great. Wonderful. Okay.
1: Well, the, the thing to appreciate here is that Pass understands that uh, as uh, individual human beings, as persons, we are, our thinking is conversational informed. We are conversing with ourselves, and we're having imaginary conversations with with our social world that we have um, internalized. So I can still think about past and have conversations with him. Uh, you know, I learn things from him. You know, if I think about him and what happened, and my old teachers, my friends, my family—they're all the population that is me. But, uh, from the, from Bob Dylan's latest album, we have his opening song. Yes. I, I am
0: multitudes. I contain multitudes, absolutely.
1: Which I understand is is a quotation from Ovid. Uh Bob's a bit of a scholar, you know.
0: Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. And I think uh I think Whitman used the phrase as well.
1: Oh well then in that case it's probably possibly more Whitman than not Ovid. You know, yeah. Bob got from uh, Bob got from Ovid the, the phrase, Beyond here lies nothing.
0: Yes, that's <laughs> right wow this is great so now my, my my uh p individual of bernard scott is now a, 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 a including uh bob dylan which you and i could do a whole other hour on bob dylan it turns out so anyway <laughs> that's fantastic any, any uh, time,
1: great. Anytime, Tom. Really.
0: Oh, beautiful oh wonderful okay
1: <laughs> um, I was, i'm a pioneer of that uh, I, I saw his 1965 concert at the albert hall in the uk
0: Oh my goodness. Like, so does that mean you're in the audience in Pennebaker's film Don't Look Back, basically? Uh, yes. Oh my goodness. All right. Okay. Um, well, you and I will have to have another couple hours on that. So,
1: <laughs> you know, with the point now, we've got the idea that you know, we are multitudes, each of us has a multitude of perspectives and conversations, whatever. Pat's calls that psychological individual. His next major insight is to recognize that as we become synchronized, we form a, if you like, a higher order or or a larger, more complex P individual, psychological individual. So our conversation is also the we of us is is conversational in form. And then you have this kind of fractal structure of um, P individuals upon P individuals upon P individuals. So you and I are a P individual together. Someone who listens to this tape becomes... P-individuated with us forms a, 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 a larger conversation as they think about what we're saying. And then we, we go back and I talk to my friends about uh, Tom Schulte and our conversation. I talk to my family. And the P-individual, the, 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 the conversations upon conversations just, just uh, proliferate. And in no time at all, you have the, the possibility of a whole uh, culture being... Um, As it were, infected by or influenced by the conversation that we're having, it may be the book I've written, it may be a paper you write, maybe some talk. But this is this is how how ideas spread. It's a Mm -hmm. conversational activity. Uh, This is basic interaction, social interaction, which, as humans, we 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 capture in various ways through our through our texts, our recordings, and our remembering our own personal. Um, ways of understanding and interpre- interpreting what's happened between us. So uh, we, we may take a particular topic like Bob Dylan and develop our shared understandings of him and then find there are perhaps some differences you know, where you say, well, you you don't like or enjoy or understand his, his gospel work. And I mm-hmm. say, no, I find it that really significant, important and profound. Mm-hmm. So with agreements and disagreements, and we can agree to disagree over certain things, but we walk away with understandings about each other, understandings about what we think each other understands on these topics. And that's conversation in its healthiest forms. You know, humans learning about each other, humans learning about, well, animals in general, living systems in general, learning about each other in relatively harmonious ways.
0: hmm and so this important distinction between P-individuals and M-individuals, so P-individuals as the psychological individual and M-individual as the mechanical individual and the P-individual being this um, self-reproducing, um, well, literally like a mesh, right? Uh, talk about past entailment meshes, uh, a, a, a interconnected set of entailed, mutually entailed concepts that yeah. is reproduced every yeah. time we think of it right so every time i think of bob dylan <laughs> that that that's reproduced yeah and that 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 is a, a p individual yeah yes
1: yeah, so we're going we're going forward a bit yeah we haven't mentioned past concept of the mechanical individual okay
0: i'll i'll let, i'll i'll ask you to, to take but us around, there then it's
1: yeah. it's, uh basically well, you know Pascal is a you know a and he wants to understand the social and he finds it convenient uh, well, right from the beginning of his work on cognition, he makes a distinction between the cognitive system, all that thinking, and the, the process, as it were, and the processor, uh, which is um, embodying that thinking. So, essentially, this is, this is roughly as people informally talk about mind and body. Uh, so, uh, when he develops conversation theory, his, his notion of a cognitive system, the thinking part, becomes this P individual we've talked about, the psychological individual, which is embodied in a mechanical individual, which is general term for basically a brain-body system, such as we have. And it's, I, I like to call it an, an analytic distinction, because we're not saying that humans are less than whole persons, and we're just saying that the distinctions we make between the mind stuff and the body stuff are distinctions we make. Mm-hmm. and we use them for certain purposes. And in this case, we want to develop uh, better understandings of what it is to be human. So we, we make the distinction between the, the psychological individual as a whole system, which renews itself moment by moment, day by day, and the, and the mechanical individual, the biological brain-body system, which renews itself biologically, autopilotically, day by day, the two systems are obviously inseparable. In reality, you cannot have a P individual which is not embodied, and you cannot have a, a conscious human being who is not uh, uh, an embodied P individual.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, uh, you know, you might have a dead body or an, an unconscious body, but if 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 a body is unconscious, you cannot converse with the person. This is how doc. This is where the word conscious really comes from. Mm-hmm. It's when doctors. Uh, interrogate a, a a body that's lying there and say, uh, "Are you awake? Can you speak to me? Wake up!" Mm. And they flash lights in its in in the in the body's eyes this object, and then the object's eyes wake up and it says, oh, "Where am I?" At that point, there's consciousness, and that the two persons, the doctor and the patients, are knowing something with each other. They are comskio. They're knowing with each other,
0: mm.
1: and it's this consciousness as knowing with is is central to past thinking as well mm-hmm. uh, within as aspects of p individuals the knowing with either within the individual person or, or, or within the conversation between persons so uh, but all the time you have you know the dynamics the biological dynamics of the brain body system uh, which which accounts for the, the basic awareness which all all living systems, possessed to some degree, we're all aware to some degree, except when we're asleep uh, or dead, mm-hmm. basically. And it's a dynamic which has a drive to it. It means that we are, uh, certainly amongst the higher mammals and many other species, we have a, what, what some psychologists have referred to as a curiosity drive, or past refers to as a need to learn. We're always, mm-hmm. we explore our Worlds, our environments. We add to our knowledge of the world we are, are, are in through experiencing it, exploration. And if there's something we come across that we don't we don't understand, uh, we we resolve the uncertainty as best we can. And once we, once we resolve some uncertainty, we start looking for more. We mm-hmm. are in use. ash research we are living systems are eaters of variety. We look at yes. variety. If you think about a, a small infant crawls around a room playing with things, looking at things, tasting things, handling things, uh, this is you know a, a wonderful example of, of what it means to be a, a,
0: a eating variety yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely so, yeah so and I think one of the things that maybe people might struggle with, to initially grasp, but what to me is one of the great um, advantages of, of PASC's, system, uh, PASC's system of thought, if I can call it that, and we'll compare it to another one that you compare it to in a moment, um, the idea that um, a P individual can be made up or can be instantiated rather across a number of M individuals. So for instance, uh, the idea of people, say, sitting in a church together, um, there's a gathering of M individuals, but if we are sharing a concept, a set of concepts that is whatever faith, Oh, I guess I've said church, so I am guess I'm talking Christianity in this instance, uh, we share a set of concepts. Um, that uh, we are are, are are being mobilized in this activity we're doing that we're no and we're knowing with each other you've got a gathering of M individuals but in a sense a a, a shared P individual is being instantiated by us uh, together is that a is that yeah, an accurate just brain rendering?
1: Brain, just as with you and I we have our bodies our brain body systems which are temporarily synchronized as we converse and we are creating a uh, a, a, a Tom and Bernard individual, our conversation, if you have a group of, if you have people engaged in social activity together, then uh, there may be any number of, of brain-body systems involved, but together, certainly from the perspective of, of an external observer, you can say, oh look, they are conversing together, they are one social system, but the, the key factor here is that the you know if the individuals are self-referential, they're mm. in awareness of, of what, the, what they are doing and saying, and what makes a gathering of human beings, a P individual, a psychological individual, a conversation, a social system in my terms, is that they construe themselves as such. You know, they mm. when they sit in church, they are saying, we, you know, we are members of the organization. If you go to work with your colleagues, you all talk to each other. and everybody knows in the sense that they, you know, they're conceptualizing them themselves as members of the organization. That's what brings them together that what what that's what makes the the organization fundamentally a a social system and this is a very different concept
0: from for example that of nicholas luman or Uh aha which is where i was going next you're always one step ahead of me that was where i was going to go uh, next
1: well there are also other many 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 simon dishes and systems thinkers who just talk about human systems as if it's just they're all just another system well you know there's a systems of the of the, of the of the people who make up the organization then you've got the production system and the yeah socio-technical systems that kind of language it's around but it's not as clear-cut uh, and as i think um, you know, conceptually satisfying as, as past distinction between p individuals and m individuals so we can go up to the whole level of a, of a society or a culture where what makes it a society or a culture is that the participants in one way or another regard themselves, construe themselves as being members of that that system. Now uh, this is where I disagree with you, this is where I I, I don't um, you know, I don't buy into Lumen's concept of, of social systems as as systems of communications which are separate from the conscious beings, mm-hmm. um, the psychic systems. Um, that yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: i'm a fan of lumen as well as pasc and i I had a brief interaction with you just in the chat function during an online conference where i'm trying to to reconcile the two and i know that you your feeling is that they are um sort of ontologically incompatible um but uh that's another conversation we can have that's maybe a little more sort of inside baseball as they say than for this particular podcast but just just
1: a brief brief couple of thoughts here yeah, I mean, please. Yeah, I mean, Luman has taken taken his taking his main theoretical structure from Talcott Parsons. And Parsons is you know is a sociologist, is interested in macro sociology. A theory he wants to develop a theory of society, which is exactly what Lumen wants to do too. He borrows all that from from uh, from um, Parsons. And Parsons looks at uh, uh, societies, as, as, uh, certainly Western societies, as a, a, a set of uh, functional subsystems which work together to keep society going. You know, the system of the law, the politics, um, you know, the, the military, whatever. You know, there are all these fun- systems which function together to keep some, society going. So it's a, it's a kind of a macro theory of macro systems. And uh, it's got a place for the human in there somewhere, but it's fairly peripheral. Uh, mm. But uh, Lumen takes all that uh, and just, uh, instead, instead of where um, Parsons emphasizes what he calls action systems, where things get done, um, Lumen emphasizes what he calls communication systems, where where something is communicated. And uh, in both cases, for, for Parsons, obviously, at the end of the day, it's human beings who are initiating the actions, and in, in Lumen's case, it's the human beings who are, uh, the environment for the, the communications they are passing them on or interpreting and so on. So at the level of wanting to have a macro theory of society with functional which which accounts for how functional subsystems emerge and how they um, what's the word for it? Interact together or, or another Lumen has another word for it. Interpenetrate, penetrate, Yes, penetrate. Yeah. Well, if, if that's what you're doing as a macro sociologist, fine. But you don't, you don't, or the other stuff about um, psychic systems and interaction systems is, is fairly peripheral. Mm. I've just been reading, uh, I've forgotten her name now, uh, uh, um, Esposito, Eleanor Esposito is one of mm. the students. I just wrote a, read an interview with her and she gives a beautiful, clear account of. How she uses the theory of functional subsystems and media and so on in Lumen's theory. And I look at it, I think, well, you know, it really it's still isomorphic to Parsons. Mm. The other concepts, the psychic systems, are still conceptually trivial. It's just taken from a bit of Freud. Mm. And there's no serious development of the concept of social organizations like business organizations or other social institutions. It's, 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 it's useful at the level of macro sociology.
0: Mm. Right? Mm.
1: And many many theorists use it at that level.
0: Mm. Yeah, this is great. This is really helpful because I, I think that perhaps what I'm attempting to do is replace the Freudian notion of, uh, of, of, it always disappoints me when Freud shows up in Lumen because I like so much of Lumen, but when Freud shows up, I, I get a little disconcerted, um, that trying to replace the Freudian notion. So, if the if the social if the psychic uh, system uh, is the environment for the social system that Lumen believes is constituted of these communic- recursive communications, I guess maybe my hope is that the notion of the P individual could replace a Freudian notion of a description of the psychic system that enables Lumen's communication system. So the environment are that we share a bunch of distinctions yeah, and well, then they get instantiated in conversation so that the P individual might be, might be a new way to conceptualize the psychic system in, in Lumen's thinking.
1: Well, it, it, uh, the psychic system is taken, it's taken from Freud, which was, which take, Lumen takes it from Parsons, Parsons takes it from Freud. It, it was the, it was the best kind of holistic psychology. Is the one that he knew about, mm-hmm. and and the, the thing about Freud, Freud, the psychic system is, it's uh, um, yeah, it's 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 what's happening psychologically that's embodied, with all those you know all those drives and repressions and all that kind of motivational personality stuff. Mm-hmm. Once you've got the Paskin concept of a psych, a psychological individual, you've got something much more powerful. And it's mm-hmm. embodied, of course, in the uh, in, in the biological system, the brain-body system. So the source of um, uh, emotions, feelings, and, and so on, all the stuff that you can find in is can be found in, in the concept of an embodied P-individual.
0: But
1: mm-hmm. the natural, which we've already discussed, is very straightforward, uh, kind of re- recursive, fractal uh, architecture of, of P-individuals. Uh, being subsets of other p individuals or supersets, and so on. So the whole of society is one great p individual, in the sense that members of society construe themselves as being part of society, and uh, uh, we're all part of that conversation if we choose to see ourselves that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I find all we need is the uh, what I call the the, p, the the psychosocial unity, which is uh, the P individual in past terms, and the biomechanical unity, which is the M individual in past terms. So as we sit here, the the M individual is is all the material aspects, the brain-body system and all the biological stuff that goes on in there, uh, including the brain functions and all that wonderful, wonderful stuff about the neurophysiology and and the central motor system, which you get from um, Maturana and Mm -hmm. Firster all about biology i'm also a uh, couple to my environment in the sense i've got extensions i'm wearing spectacles i've got a computer in front of me which is affording the conversation with you i, you know, I am a, a, a you know a, a biomechanical unity as a, as a material system and all that's uh, all that's around me when i go and sit in my motor car my motor car becomes an extension of me you know, as, as the psychological individual embodied in not just my body but also in the car, mm-hmm. these are very powerful ideas to sort of bring a simplicity and a unity to how we understand uh, the human condition. And we don't, we, we only need the, we only really need the biological or the me- biomechanical and the psychosocial, which captures, you know, which is the psychological individual, the task. Uh, we don't need the tripartite distinction that um, that uh, lumen makes between um, communication systems his social systems and the psychic systems and biological systems he has a tripartite distinction this mm-hmm. uh, past we only need two
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then as, as I say Lumen goes on to distinguish between interaction systems which are what we would call uh, face-to-face conversations. Uh, and organizations, which are, as I said, institutions, business organizations, families, things like that, and these functional subsystems. His main interest is in the functional subsystems and the codes or media in which they communicate, on, on the base of which they communicate. It's all very abstract, far away from the, from the, uh, the, the psychological, uh, or the social psychological, to come to that. Right. And uh, we, you know, it's, uh, and he uses that, that, that theory, he's got his theory of structure, but he doesn't really develop his, his concepts of interaction systems. I mean, his, his, his ideas are just trivial compared to what you find in the richness of social psychology. Uh, and right. his ideas about organisations are not developed. At one point he says, the education system educates
0: Mm-hmm.
1: you know it's like saying communication only communication communicates I mean it's it's a kind of um, to me it's just a a, a kind of you know pseudo aphorism you know it's it's, a, it's, it, it, it's an affection of wisdom and insight which just, that really doesn't bear examination right if you want to do macro sociology functional subsystems how law and politics interact I mean Fine, but there's only about 5% of places on the planet where you can actually see those subsystems functionally differentiated. Everywhere else, it's dictatorships, corruption, greed. You know, there's no real distinction between these functional subsystems. It all gets down to something else. Mm. But it's interesting to think about how these subsystems emerge if you actually look at this functional analysis of how society works and this is society as a macro system this is parsons which is straight from which is lumen takes over
0: right okay so
1: that's my <laughs> <laughs> all
0: right well i'm going to keep i i i hear you loud and clear i'm going to keep tinkering with my understanding and see if at some point i can throw something past you that you think, eh, maybe there's something here. Um, you, you, you also, we're, we're running low on time. You've been so generous with your time. We, there's also, you, you sort of put cybernetics up against some other theories in the social world. You look at uh, a comparison between what cybernetics offers alongside um, connectivism and actor network theory uh, and, 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 and other things. But because we're running short on time, I want to get to uh, your thoughts about the future um as it seems that this this book then sort of moves us towards you know your maybe some of your desires or some of your hopes for the future and what's um in the part 10 which is called some socio cybernetic understanding of possible world futures so can you just say a few things about um about that section as we move to a close and 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 what would your hopes be your desires or you think the possibilities are right. Of what socio-cybernetics could bring to a possible world future
1: okay um chapter 10 uh part two or chapter two says uh, sorry sec- second section says being holistic about global problems um so part of the theme is about being holistic uh, first of all you know i'm taking you know i'm taking for granted that there are cl- global problems there are serious problems at every level of society not just globally but also locally and uh, I also emphasize that this this has been a concern of cyberneticians from the off. And uh, uh, we had, uh, you know, we had Margaret Mead and, and Gregory Bates and, uh, in the original Macy conferences, both cultural anthropologists, and both seriously concerned about how, how the world works, how humans, how, how humans behave, you know, killing each other, all these other all nasty things that go on. And uh, increasingly aware as... Uh, others on the planet were that were, you know, well, it was well understood amongst uh, most intellectuals on the biological and social side, uh, certainly in the cybernetics community, that uh, we humans are destroying the planet, uh, as well as continuing to, you know, kill and maim and and enslave each other. So the problems have always been apparent. And you can find reference to these in various commentaries that have been Made by von Pask, and McCullough and Beer, certainly Beer, Stafford Beer, over the over the years. World in torment, one of Stafford's most famous papers, uh, sketches out this uh, you know, the dire situation that we're in. And as like I said before, we've only got you know, roughly 10% of the planet which can claim to be a, democratic. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, we are. You know, destroying our biosphere, um which is the kind of collective down for all possible uh, ecosystems that can be distinguished. So, those are the serious concerns. And Stafford Beer inspired me at one point when he says, in one of his uh, lectures, he says, cybernetics is, is about being holistic. So, we have to try to understand the whole. How can we? Because we are, you know, the challenge is that we are part of the whole um, that we're trying to understand, whether we're trying to understand in some kind of philosophical metaphysical sense or we're just trying to understand it, some pragmatic sense of what on earth do we do about all these problems so um uh I, 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 in in recent years i, I formulated some i call i call scott's laws of act, observation and action um to help inform us of what the challenges are that we face and they go as follows there is always a bigger picture it's an utter conceit to think that we ever know what's going on specifically um, anywhere, locally or globally, there is always a bigger picture. Number two, there is always another level of detail. We can always drill down further and further and further, down into the the mysteries of whatever we want to contemplate as the ultimates, because we never reach them. Now here I'm thinking of quantum physics, uh, which is a never ending game of trying to understand the whole of which we are a part in another way. There is always another perspective, different ways of looking at the world. Everyone has their own perspective on what's happening. Uh, law four. There's always error. We always make mistakes. we never. No one's ultimately ever right. Uh, you only find uh, uh, lack of error in, in 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 eternity, you know, in in heaven or somewhere like that. Um, and then the fifth law is: there's always the unexpected. Mm. So as far uh, and. Really, I became aware of the sort of global issues uh, of to do with the uh, the environment and so on, pollution, whatever. Uh, in in the late sixties and seventies, early seventies, uh, uh, I went. I saw I saw a lecture from um, the ecologist Barry Commoner, and uh, that that really inspired me. Uh, and I've been thinking about it ever since, as a, as of many, 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 many other other intellectuals, in fact, you know, a whole new discipline of ecology sprang up in various forms. Uh, And in in the systems where many, many people have devoted their work to, you know, systemic understanding. So so I'm not original here in in being concerned about these problems. I'm just saying, saying, um, saying we must look at them holistically, which is, in a sense, an impossible task. But we have our different perspectives and we need to converse together, we need to work together so i make a distinction between the first order problems of what's happening materially around us um you know the damage which is being done in various ways and at the time when i first wrote this this the, the article that preceded this chapter uh, I, I didn't have pandemics on my list which is rather mm-hmm. ironic given what's happening at the moment
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then i name what i call second order problems which, um, with, with reference to von uh, first and second order cybernetics which is the cybernetics observing systems. We, the it is a complex first order world of all the systems, all the natural systems, and so on, which are going on, and uh, all the other sort of material work activity that happens on our planet. The second order problems are the uh, the interactions, social interactions, the de-individuation that's going on, and the conflict, lack of harmony amongst all that, and it's it really is hyper complex. Um, we can sort of consider it from fairly macro levels of different competing belief systems uh, and competing political systems, ideologies, and so on. And we can look down to the very micro level of, of why is it that um, my neighbor, for some reason, uh, thinks that, as I discovered a few years ago, with you know, someone I, I had been introduced to, I discovered that uh, she thought that um, black and white people are different species Mm-hmm. Uh, there are level of, of, of ignorance lack, lack of understanding uh, different perspectives certainly but lack of understanding at all uh, at all levels certainly locally so there's it's so much to be done or so much that is wrong and depends on how I'm feeding on a particular day whether I'm optimistic or pessimistic about the future uh, on, a, you know, on, a, on a good day I think well with the oncoming natural disasters which are coming upon us fast Faster and faster, and we're still barely waking up, certainly not at a global level waking up. Um, you know, there, there are fires and storms and floods everywhere getting worse, worse, worse. And where will a bit 10 years, 20 years be observed? 50 years, no, it'll be five years, 10 years, and uh, we'll all be washed away, or many of us. So there's going to be disaster there. And uh, given the lack of harmony amongst human beings, uh, it, we, we don't know what else will go on. People worried about nuclear war. I'm just worried about, concerned about the, the ongoing um, conflicts and and uh, oppression that goes on. You know the, the, the slavery mm-hmm. around the world. There's a huge gaps between the rich and the poor. And for heaven's sake, we've just had um, Richard Branson, a, a, a you know a British mm-hmm. entrepreneur, made his living initially by f- selling. El- you know, selling LPs, final LPs by post. Uh, you know, in in the, in the sixties in and seventies, um, and he had long hair, dressed like a hippie, but his beliefs and anything but. Well, mm. what he And he's just put himself into space. Why? <laughs> what kind of contribution is that to what's going on? Mm. That's apart from what. Yeah, you know, and we've got Jeff Bezos doing the same thing. That's mm. apart from what the. Nation states continue to do the Chinese and the Americans and the Russians, the, the, whoever the British, putting, you know, wanting to go into space, spending billions and trillions on that sort of activity. Well, we're, um, yeah,
0: mm-hmm.
1: well we're facing all, all sorts of catastrophes and issues down here. So that's the big picture that I'm concerned about, Tom. And mm-hmm. I think cybernetics as only a tool to help with solutions, as it already is it exists. You know, cybernetic concepts of, of feedback, feed forward, and, and so on, uh, are in, deeply embedded in e- eco- ecology, uh, and increasingly in the uh, our understanding of the social world. Thank heaven, um, but um, we also have the, uh, uh, the the real need to uh, to educate, in the best mm-hmm. sense, to raise awareness. Uh, I mean, just as one simple example, which annoys me or annoys me. Uh, disappoints me, makes me sad. Is well we always talk about race and racism. Race is not the scientific concept. Mm. There's no, there's no credibility to it anymore. It's used in local context by, by some uh, physical anthropologists, I believe, but it doesn't have a, a, any any scientific meaning. And yet, both racists and anti-racists, um, yeah, uh, maintain that the use of this. You know this trope, Mm. race, racism, and and how do you penetrate into that? When how do you how do you try to educate people when you're burdened by these these um, basically ignorant, misguided ways of thinking about what human beings are? Would you suggest
0: we use a word like prejudice or discrimination? Yeah, instead,
1: yeah, Yeah. prejudice, discrimination. Ethnici- different ethnicities is a useful term. Well, let's
0: retire that word because it's exi- its continuing existence only actually propagates this false distinction. Great. Well, thank you so much for the time you've given us, Bernard. Uh, the book is a real important contribution. I'll certainly be sharing it with, with many, many people, and uh, it's been great to have you here on the podcast. Thanks again.
1: Well, Tom, thank you very much for giving me this opportunity to uh, share some of my thinking and also to have a Very productive conversation with you.
0: Thank you. It's been my pleasure.